Welcome to the Covenant Life Center podcast. Our goal is that this message builds your faith and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. Um, I'm really excited about tonight's word. I got quite a bit of notes on here. Um, This may be a longer message than um, what I've preached in the past, but I believe that it's necessary. And I'll go ahead and give, give off my sermon title. If you take notes, you can write this down. It's this, Visible Evidence for an Invisible God. Visible evidence for an invisible God. Now, for those that know me, you know that I love to preach. Sometimes I have to apologize to people, whether I'm talking to them face-to-face at the dinner table, whatever, because sometimes preaching just comes out of me. And if you know one thing about me, I guess you can say I'm a pretty passionate guy, and I love to preach. It's just such an honor, such a calling. I'm so thankful for it in my life to be able to preach. So tonight I want to preach, but I also want to teach. Sometimes I just preach, other times I teach, sometimes I do both, and I treach. So tonight, I'm going to be treaching tonight. Is that cool with you guys? Cool, so I'm excited. Uh, So next week in Legacy, as we get into it, next week in Legacy, we're actually starting the series, and this series is entitled FAQ. Somebody say FAQ. And this acronym that we're preaching on back there in Legacy, um, because you may know it as frequently asked questions, but for this sermon series, we're calling it frequently avoided questions. Frequently avoided questions. So in this series, uh, we're going to be addressing questions that Christians hope no one will ask them. Uh, Maybe even you ask these questions to yourselves about faith, about the Bible, or how Christians should live, such as, for example, how could a good God allow so much evil, pain, and suffering in the world? Or what makes you think that Jesus wasn't just a good man or wise teacher, but the Son of God? Now, if we're being honest, these are real questions that people ask every day, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever been asked a question that you didn't know the answer to right there in that moment, but people ask themselves these questions every day. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but it seems, that we, it seems like we live in a world that has more questions than it does answers. Oh, we live in a world that has more questions than it does answers. So tonight, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I want to help bring clarity, clarity, because how many of you guys know we do not serve a God who is the author of confusion, but of clarity. I want to help bring some clarity to questions that unbelievers or believers may have about God. So if you take notes tonight, this will be the night. I'll say this this one time. If you take notes tonight, this will be the night to take notes. And if you don't take notes tonight, this will also be the night where you take notes, okay? So get your phone out. Get your notebook out. I want to say some things. I really pray I don't go over it too fast because sometimes I get in the habit of speaking really fast. Uh, but I know that you guys love me just as I am, right? So maybe you need to go back and listen to this message later on YouTube or the podcast. Uh, you can go ahead and do that. But before we do that, before we get into the question, um, you may be asking yourself, why? Like, why are we talking about this? Like, like, why are we discussing this? Because if God is God, because this is what I was thinking about, too. If, like, if God is God, we serve an everlasting, eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, um, you know, everlasting, omnipotent God. Like, if we serve an eternal, everlasting God, then why does he need me to stand up or speak for him? And I understand that God is God all by himself, but guess what? God uses everyday ordinary people like you and me to make a difference to do his work and to reach out to people. The Bible says that we are called to be ambassadors 
for Christ. Anybody believe that? You may be asking yourself, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador, I'm glad you asked, is someone who is the highest representative in a foreign region. Guess what? You are an ambassador and you are a representative if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, of the kingdom of God. I feel it tonight already. It's going to be a good night. We are the hands and we are the feet of Jesus. And Jesus, it's funny because Jesus said for the church to go into the world. Isn't it funny how he said for the church to go into the world, not the world to go to the church? So we must be prepared as believers and as Christians as we go through life and people have questions, people are struggling, we got to be sure that we're prepared to share Jesus with people at any moment because you may have the answers to questions that they have. And that could lead them to Jesus. I remember serving at this Covenant Cares event. I'm so thankful for our Covenant Cares team. Can you give them a hand clap? If you serve or whatever you do. I won't forget a couple months ago, um, we were at this Covenant Cares event. And uh, we were serving at Christ's Kitchen. And I got permission from the person that, you know, this happened to to share the story. Pretty much what happened was, as this person was serving food to people at Christ's Kitchen, this man stopped right in the middle of the line as he received his food from the volunteer, and he asked one of the volunteers a question, and he said this. He asked him this, why do you believe in Jesus? He said, like, like why do you believe in Jesus? Like, have you ever seen Jesus face to face? Like, then why do you believe that Jesus exists? Why do, you, why do you believe that he is the son of God? And this person, he was just shook, whatever you want to call it. He was shaken and he didn't really know how to respond in the moment. I think he stuttered a little bit. I'm not going to say any names or anything like that, but I got permission to share it. And uh, pretty much the way that he responded was, it just takes faith. You know, it just takes faith. I believe in Jesus because he did this in my life, and, you know, it did that. He saved me. And I think that's an awesome answer just to be able to say, you know, this is what God did in my life. And, you know, it does take faith to believe in Jesus, right? And get this, the person responded that asked the question, he said this, I'm just messing with you. Like, you don't need to convince me. I'm actually a Christian. I believe in God. I go to church. Like, what I like to do is I just like to test other Christians to see how strong they are in their faith, to see if they're prepared to ask, you know, get asked tough, tough questions. So if you are one of those people, stop it, you're weird, okay? If you do that, if you test people, if you go around asking questions saying, I'm just a Christian, like, just stop it already, okay? But it got me thinking, I really do wonder how knowledgeable and how educated we are to answer tough questions like that. And could it be, church, could it be that the answer that you give to someone that has a question maybe like that, could that actually draw them towards Jesus or could that actually push them away from Jesus? We must be equipped and prepared. The scripture says, because you may be asking yourself, where does the Bible say this, Caleb? Why do we have to talk about this tonight? I'm glad you asked again. First Peter Chapter 3, verse 15 says this, reading out of the NIV. It says this, but in your heart, say heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared, say always, to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But, say but, <laughs> that was funny. Do this with gentleness. Oh my gosh, this is a serious talk. But do this with gentleness and respect. So first of all, the first thing that I want to say is this. You are called to love people. You are called to love God, and you are called to love people. And we don't study, and we don't get to know God's word, and we don't equip and prepare ourselves so that way we can build up our ego or our pride and make other people feel small. So if that's what you 
think about, you know, studying scripture and, you know, evangelizing or reaching out to people. That's the way that you can just make yourself feel good. That is not the right mindset to have. Our goal, I want you guys to get this, our goal cannot merely be as Christians to win the argument. That's not our goal, to win an argument, but rather with the help of the Holy Spirit, our goal should be to win someone to Jesus Christ. Not to win the argument, but to win someone to Jesus Christ. So it's not about me being right. It's all about seeing someone else become restored. So whenever you go around, whether you're at school, you're at work, wherever you may be, sometimes we can be so on the defensive or offensive and think it's all about us and making us look good. But I'm telling you what, God wants to use you not to make yourself look good, but to make Jesus Christ look good. Amen? That's what evangelism is all about. But before we dig into the question tonight, because we're going to get into a question, I, I think it's really important for, for us to address uh, three vital elements of how to respond to others' questions. So if you want to write this down, the first, first element of responding to someone else's question is this, preparation. Someone say preparation. I think, yeah, they got it right there. Preparation. Preparation is key. Did you know, and I believe this, that proper preparation prevents poor performance? Proper preparation prevents poor performance. There's nothing worse whenever you take a test that you didn't prepare for. Or maybe you're going to a game that you didn't practice for. Or maybe you're delivering a speech that you didn't study or prepare for. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. So what I want to say is this. Take the material that we're talking about tonight. Take it home. Study yourself. Look at the scripture. Don't just believe what I have to say about it. Do your own study. Get it in your heart. Do studies at home because if you do this and you rehearse it and you get it in your heart, God will honor that and God will bless that tremendously. Honestly, there's no substitute for hard work, guys. Don't try to take, take shortcuts. Don't look and compare yourself to other people. You got to be sure that you prepare yourself in your quiet time and in your devotion. You study God's word. The second element is this, prayer. Say prayer. Prayer is the conduit to seeing miracles take place in your lives. And guess what? Prayer and preparation go hand to hand. Am I putting you guys to sleep tonight? Is this making sense to y'all? Prayer and preparation Go hand to hand. You got to pray before you have conversations, and you got to pray for people after you have conversations. Because so, this is what I've learned. The gospel does the best work whenever we allow the gospel to, to do the work. That we can only do so much, but only God can truly change someone's heart. And sometimes we got to step back after we minister and reach out to them and say, God, have your way in their life. God, do what I can't do. That if I do what I can do, I know that you will do what I can't do, God. It's between you and them, God. You have your way. I pray for it. When's the last time that you, when's the last time that you cried or, or prayed or just got on your knees and prayed for somebody that was lost or, or, or maybe didn't know Jesus? When's the last time that you do that? Preparation and then prayer. Thirdly is proximity. Say proximity. See, both prayer and preparation are pointless if we're not in proximity to those who are lost or have questions. This is good stuff, right? First, prayer. Well, first, preparation. <laughs> then prayer, but it's all pointless if we're not in proximity to those that are lost or have questions. First of all, let the Spirit of God lead you. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Maybe you don't understand what that means or what that's like. Ask God. Say, God, lead me. 
God, I want to I want to feel that urge. I want to I want to feel feel led by your spirit. I want to I want to feel just that that knowing in my soul just to when to talk and when not to talk or when to go somewhere or when not to go somewhere. God, I want you to lead me in life because how in the world are you going to reach people if you're always resisting people? How are you going to reach people if you're always resist, resisting people? I don't know about you, you know, but sometimes I'm introverted. Sometimes I just want to be with me, myself, and I. I don't know if you're a people person or not. I ran into Christians that say, I just don't like hanging around people. But I've learned that the only way that I can truly serve God is if I serve people and minister to other people. So you being a Christian, you are the salt and you are the light of this world, that you are ambassadors for Christ, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are a holy nation, and you will not allow your light to not be shined into the world. So preparation, prayer, and then what? proximity. And then last little thing I'll say before we get into the question is this. Always seek first to understand and then be understood. Sometimes we talk so much. Sometimes we want everybody to hear what we have to say. But the Bible says, be quick to to listen and be slow to speak. Quick to listen and be slow to speak. Because sometimes I'm I get it. We're going to go over this material tonight. You're going to take it. I can't wait to go share it with somebody. I can't wait to, you know, talk about Jesus. I can't, I can't wait to do all that. And we can talk and talk and talk, but never give someone an opportunity to share their heart with us because I've realized that people don't know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Will you take the time to listen? Hey, tell me your story. Why do you believe that? You know, t- t- what's your journey like? Like, what, what's it all about? Tell, tell me. And then they tell you, and they'll be more open to receive from you because you allowed them to pour into you. You guys getting this tonight? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. So with all that being said, you ready for the first question? All right, here's the first question. And here's the only question we're going to be going over tonight is this. What makes you so sure? And this is a question that somebody may have. I'm going to do my best to cover it. What makes you so sure that God exists at all? especially when you can't see, hear, or touch him. It's quiet in here right now, I understand. What makes you so sure that God exists at all, especially when you can't see, hear, or touch him? And if I want to expound on this question even more, I would say it like this. If someone had asked this question to be more specific, if someone came up here, this is all speaking hypothetically, how can you know there's a God, he's not tangible, you can't weigh him. This is a question that somebody may have. You can't weigh him, measure him, touch him, or see him with the naked eye or detect him with the radar, and yet you believe in him. Why? Yet you believe in him. Why? This is a hypothetical and legit question that somebody may have, you know, in life. First of all, I would like to point out to that person, this is what I would do from just doing studying and research and preparation. First of all, I would point out to someone that there are plenty of important things we believe in without seeing, hearing, or touching them. There are plenty of important things that we believe in without seeing, hearing, or touching them. For example, love. Somebody say love. Anybody believe in love? Anybody in love? I don't know where you may be at right now. If you're a single person, raise your hand. We're going to pray over you right now. No, I was just joking. For example, love. Think about this. Love is a profound reality. And most of us in here, we believe in this word called love. Have you ever experienced love before? Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt what, what love, you know, have you ever felt like just love? I don't know. Sometimes it's inexpressible. Sometimes maybe it was a first kiss. Maybe someone spoke loving words over you. 
someone sacrificed for you, someone showed you care, and you felt this inexpressible feeling called love. Somebody say love. But here's the funny thing. Love itself is not a material thing. It's not something I can whip out of my back pocket and hold in my hands and say, guess what, this is love. Like this material thing right here, this is love. Love is not a physical entity, but how many of you guys know love is a real thing in this world? Love is a real thing. Or somebody say, woo, yeah, love is a real thing in this world. See, this is what I've learned about love. Love is one of those things that you can detect through its effects. You detect through its effects. Much like air. You follow me tonight, church? Is this making sense to y'all? Much like air, you can't see it, but you can breathe it. And you can experience it. And you can move in it. Or like gravity. Think about this. It's not visible, but you better try not to ignore gra- gravity. Just like gravity, it's not visible, but you better try not to ignore it. And guess what? It's the same with God. First, we have to know this, and this is one of the points tonight, is this. God is spirit. You're going to write that down. God is spirit. It says in John chapter 4, verse 24, you guys follow me tonight? It says God is spirit. Someone say God is spirit. I want to make sure you get that. God is spirit. This is Jesus talking. And his worshipers, we have any worshipers in this place this Wednesday evening? And his worshipers must worship him in what? Spirit and the truth. See, get this real quick. Not only is God a spirit, but you are also a spirit. You're not just a physical, carnal, fleshly human being, but you actually have a spirit. You have this thing called a spirit, and you have something called a soul, that we're made in the image of God. We are a trifecta of something. Uh, uh, We are a soul, we are a spirit, and we are a body. In other words, we are a spirit inside a body with the soul. And the way that we truly connect with God is when we yield our spirits to his. Is this making sense to you guys? I'm making sure I take my time, look over this, because I want this to not just go over your head, I want it to get inside your heart. And get this, when we accept Jesus, it says that the spirit of God dwells with us or within us. You know, I've heard Slavic say it like this, like God doesn't want to be known as a distant entity, but God actually wants to be known as a personal savior. If you want to know one thing about God, you got to know that you serve a personal relational God. That you don't serve a God that's just up in heaven looking down, looking down at us condescending, that's saying, oh, things are going really bad down there. I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to try to go down. Like, no, we serve a God that is so involved and he's so intrigued and he, he's so passionate and, and he's, he's just looking at you right now. He's like, I want to be part of their lives. I, I, I want to I do something with them. I, I want them to know who I am. I, I, want, them to, I want them to know who I am. I, if they only knew what I did for them on the cross 2,000 years ago, I sent my son for them. I sent my son for them so that way, not to make bad people good, but I sent him to make dead people alive. He wants to be known as a personal savior. The Spirit of Christ wants to be personal with us. I've heard this from Josh Sanchez. i got to put this quick plug in there because it was so good whenever you said it. And I said, bro, if I ever say this, I'll be sure to you know, tag you in it, man. Don't let God's invisibility become a disability in your life. Mic drop. Come on. Don't let God's invisibility become a disability in your life. Is this making sense to you guys? 
How many times do we believe in things that we don't truly see or hold or hear or feel, such as love, as air, and as gravity? I've learned this. I may not be able to see God, but I'm telling you what, whenever you draw near to God, he will draw near to you, and you can feel the tangible presence of God. It says whenever the disciples were in the upper room, right, they were in the upper room with 120 of them, it said a mighty rushing wind came in, and they were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I think something happens whenever the people of God stand up and rise up and come together on a Sunday or a Wednesday, that something comes in, and it's not just goosebumps, it's not just hype, it's none of those things, but it's the actual tangible presence of the Holy Ghost that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The second thing is this, your testimony. Your testimony. This is one of the ways that we can reach out to people and share the gospel with people and understand how God is, is your testimony. Say, I have a testimony. And if you, are, if you consider yourself a true follower of Jesus, you have experienced him on a personal level. And I trust that you have a sense of his presence and work in your life on a regular basis. In other words, you have a testimony. And let me encourage you something real quick with people that are unashamed or afraid to share their testimony. One of the most powerful things that you could ever do as a believer is share your testimony or experience with God to other people. I've learned this. It's really hard to argue with experiences. It's really hard to argue with experiences that you have in your life. The Bible says this in Revelation, that we defeat the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That Satan hates it whenever you tell people what God has done in your life. Oh, Satan hates it whenever he hears you tell people, oh, yes, I used to have cancer. I used to have that disease. I used to have that illness. But one day I raised up my hands and I put it at the feet of Jesus and he touched me and the doctors couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. Or maybe your, your family was struggling. Your marriage was struggling. You didn't know how you were going to make it. You're like, God, have you left us? God, are you even with us? But God swept in and he gave you a confidence and a reassurance. And all of a sudden, what once looked looks like it was once gone, is become restored and stronger than before. Anybody believe this tonight? Your experience, maybe God delivered you from an addiction. Maybe you were just high on drugs, you were hooked on alcohol, and you're thinking to yourself, man, am I ever going to get through this season of my life? And you were down in the slimy pit, but all of a sudden the loving hands of God wrapped you up and said, hey, I got you. I'm with you. You're not by yourself. Or maybe you're in a pivotal moment in your life. I feel it tonight. Maybe you're in a pivotal moment in your life trying to find out what house we're going to live in. How is my job going to work out? How is my career going to work out? What school are my kids going to go to? But then all of a sudden you just felt this urge. You felt like God was talking to you. You just felt this knowing in your spirit to turn right or turn left or say yes or say no. And God led you the right direction. I don't know if you have a story. Does anybody have a story tonight? I have a story. God still moves today. And I've had people, I'm going to take my time tonight. Is that cool? I know we're only like 23 minutes in. I've had friends and people tell me about experiences that they've had with God. And it makes me want to cry a little bit because I cry really easy, especially whenever I'm preaching. Just FYI. But I've had people, they've come up to me and said, hey, what's your story? Like, tell me about you. Like, like how did you come to church? And, like, what did you go through to get here? And they, they tell me about how they were wrapped up in, in, in drug and alcohol abuse or addiction or in gang violence and promiscuity or whatever it may be, and they were out in the world, they were doing their thing, do whatever they felt in the moment, that there was no moral boundaries or anything like that. They just went out and did whatever they did. 
and they felt it all. They experienced just about every pleasure that you can ever experience in life. And I've had multiple people tell me this before, but I've also had them tell me this, that one day they were just at a dead end and they realized that they could never be fulfilled or satisfied with things of this world and they gave their life to Jesus. And guess what? A new wine slipped and they told me this before. I can say this just like word for word. They said, Caleb, the presence of God came in my life at that moment. And there's no drug, there's no alcohol, there's no high, there's no other person, there's no other thing that can make me feel the way that I did in that moment because the power and the presence of God is real. I felt it on the inside, I felt it on the outside, I felt the spirit of the living God in that moment, and my life has never been the same. Nothing compares to the presence of God. Let me encourage you, church, there's no substance or no person that can compare and compete to the presence presence of God in your life and the spirit of God. You can go around and chase all these different things, but God is, well, I feel like preaching tonight. But I love hearing stories like that, and I encourage them to keep sharing it because it can help lead someone to the Lord because people may not be able to see him. Get this. I love this. People may not be able to see him, but they can see what he's done in our lives. They may not be able to see him, but they can see what, what he's done in their lives. And I know God is real and active in the world because God is real and active in my life. That's how I know. As I look back through my life, I see different moments where I know that God was right there with me. He was backing me up. He was, he was leading me forward. God was literally holding me up. And I look back and I say, God, you're real. God, you're active. And if you're real and active in my life, I know that you're real and, and active and involved in other people's lives as well. We just got to submit to him. See, our testimony can have a powerful influence on others when it comes to the decision on God exists, on God's existence. And if that's all still not enough, what I said, when it comes to God being a spirit in your testimony, there is more evidence all around us. There is more evidence all around us. And tonight, real quick, I don't want to take too long. I have three evidences for the existence of God that I want to point out tonight before we leave and I don't have time to go too in-depth on these different evidences. I'm going to give you guys three of them tonight. You can write these down here in a minute. We're going to go over one at a time. But if you would like to go deeper in these questions or in the evidence of God, I encourage you highly to read this book that I read in preparation for this message. You can write this down. It's called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. You can write that down. You can look at it later, do your own research. But The, Christ, the Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. Can I get a drink of water real quick? I need something. My voice is feeling it already. get too excited sometimes. Sorry. But, yeah. Thank you, Patsy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> hey, is it cool if I be real tonight? Come on. Okay. Sorry. I probably need to give you guys a breather anyway, so I'm going to take my time for a minute, okay? <laughs> but it's the questions Christians hope no one will ask. And uh, this book is written by this guy named Mark, uh, Mark Middleberg. And, uh, and this is where I got these three points from. And I don't know if you know this guy or not, but Mark Middleberg is a good friend of Lee Strobel. He's the one that wrote the book Case for Christ and also the movie Case for Christ. Anybody seen that movie? A powerful story, a powerful testimony. Someone 
who was an agnostic or even an atheist, I would say, that was a skeptic and believing in Jesus. His wife became a Christian, and he ended up doing a two-year study where he went so in-depth. He traveled, read so many books, and he decided at the end of the day that it took more faith to be an atheist than to be a follower of Christ. And Mark, Mark and uh, Lee are actually really good friends, and they go out and they minister and they evangelize with different people, and they go to different groups. For example, there was this group of skeptics, of unbelievers, of atheists that actually met together and they bashed the Bible. They reached out to Lee and they reached out to Mark. They had a conversation with them and the people that were atheists bashing the Bible ended up giving their life to Jesus and now they come and study the Bible and they are all followers of Jesus. This is a great book. Come on. So we're going to breeze through these real quick, these three evidences um, as efficiently and effectively as possible. The first evidence is this. You can write this down. The existence of the universe. If you ever ask yourself, like, why does God exist? The existence of the universe. And in layman's terms, um, the universe is time. The universe is space. And I don't want to lose anybody. You may have to look at this later. You know, but the universe is time. The universe is space. And the universe is matter. So the universe equals time, space, and matter. And many ancient thinkers, many people throughout history actually thought that the universe um, was eternal. In other words, they thought the universe actually had no beginning at, at all. In other words, people believed that the universe had no beginning. D believe it or not, it wasn't until the 20th century uh, that many people believed and started believing, um, and philosophers and scientists began to realize that the universe actually had a starting point. It, it, it actually had a starting point. And uh, there was this telescope that was invented, one of the one of the scientific contributions to people believing that the universe actually had a beginning was the Hubble Space Telescope. And what they did was they shot it out on the edge of space, and they, they sent it way out. Like, you've probably seen pictures before. And they noticed that the universe was actually still expanding, that the universe was actually still growing. And then they realized, oh, my gosh, if it's still expanding, if it's still growing, that must have meant there must have been, like, a beginning. And also in 1915, you guys cool with listening to a little bit of history. I love history so much. Also in 1915, um, Einstein developed the general theory of relativity, which is far too complex to explain, even if I could explain it fully. Um, but this theory has universally been accepted by scientists all over the world. But the, this theory actually has certain implications. And one of the implications of this theory is this, that the universe actually had a beginning. That the universe actually had a beginning, which meant that it had a cause. You ever heard of cause and effect? You can't have an effect without a cause, right? So if the universe exists and the universe started, anything that started has to have a, anything that started has to have an, a cause, right? You can't have an effect without a cause. So they realize that the universe actually had a cause. Now, many scientists and others, including Einstein himself, did not like the result of that. They said to themselves, okay, like that means there's actually a beginning to the universe and perhaps because perhaps they were upset about it or they didn't like the result because it, it sounded too much like the biblical account of creation. Because, you know, I've heard and, I, you know, in spite of what everybody's heard or what a lot of people hear, um, people think that science is actually at odds with the belief of God. But to the contrary, to the contrary, science actually provides compelling evidence for the existence of God. So science isn't at odds with God. Science is actually providing proof compelling evidence for God's existence. The Bible, get this, the Bible literally starts with in the beginning. In the beginning, God what? He created the heavens and the earth. And get this, the universe is time, the universe is space, and the universe is matter. 
And something cannot create something within itself. It has to have a cause outside of time, outside of space, and outside of matter in order for that thing to become a reality. And I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like the characteristics of the God of the Bible. See, if every, you know, that's so good, right? See, this sounds exactly like the characteristics of the God of the Bible. Now, here's the next question. Is this making sense to you guys? One question that people have is like, okay, then if God created the universe, then who created God? If God created the universe, then who created God? And if everything that has a beginning needs a cause, then who caused God? But the, this question is an argument against itself because the immaterial, eternal God of the universe who had no beginning doesn't need a cause because he had no beginning. God doesn't need a cause. He just is. God, I'll get this tonight. Science says there has to be a cause in order for there to be an effect. But here's the thing. God had no beginning. God is, God was, and God will forever be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you try to wrap your mind around, you wrap your little mind around who God is. God is so big, I can't even comprehend him. God is so mighty. He's so ever eternal. He's so everlasting. God is God. What makes us think that we're going to understand all, all the complexities of God? All I know is this. In the beginning was God. And God created the heavens and the earth before the beginning even, before there was even time. God is the ancient of days. The first evidence is the existence of the universe. He who had no beginning needs no cause. He just is. The second thing is this. The second evidence is our finely tuned world and universe. And I got a little bit more and then we'll be done. And what I mean by that is this. Our universe is so fine-tuned. It's so fine-tuned with astounding precision in ways that make it look like, in, in ways that make it a place that can support life. How many people agree that the world is beautiful? Like, honestly, like, you ever traveled? I don't know if you've ever traveled overseas. I really want to travel to, like, the Switzerland mountains. I want to go to France. I want to go to all these different places one day. You know, we're here in Victoria. I understand we see a lot of planes. And, you know, and Victoria is beautiful in a way. You know, if you look really, I'm just joking. I love Victoria so much. Born and raised here. Okay. But, you know, if you ever travel around West Texas or you go north all over the world and, and you just travel, you fly, you can look around. And aren't you just in all of just the creation and, and, and how beautiful everything looks from the oceans and, and the rivers and, and, and the lakes and, and you look at the, uh, the hills and the valleys, the mountains, and, and get this, the sky, but also get this, we have discovered over 8.7 million species of sea, air, and land animals. On top of all the beauty and all the structure, 8.7, over 8.7 million species of air, land, and sea animals. And get this, if the world was any closer to the sun, we'd be scorched, we'd be We'd be burnt up, and if we were any further, we'd be frozen. And also, believe it or not, right now on this rock called Earth, we're moving at 67,000 miles per hour around the sun. We're sitting right here, but guess what? You're moving at over 67,000 miles per hour. And get this, not only are we moving at that speed around the sun, but our solar system is actually moving around the galaxy at 490,000 miles per hour. There's so much movement. There's so much motion. There's so, much things, there's so many things going on. The odds of this happening on its own by sheer chance are vanishingly small and thus point to an intelligent designer. Anybody believe this tonight? One whom the Bible calls God's God. Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says this, the heavens declare the glory, and I don't think they have it for the screen. Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work 
of his hands. So in other words, God is the master designer. So much better than Louis Vuitton. So much better than Gucci. So much better than Coach. So much better than architects and engineers that design you know, amazing things and skyscrapers, and we look around, and we're like, oh my gosh, how did they build that? How do we do that? But guess what? Everything that they built actually came from what God created to begin with. Minerals in the earth, there, there's, there's trees. There. You look around, guess what? God is an intelligent designer. It's not by accident. Not by accident, not by sheer chance, not by lightning hitting mud on the right day, and then everything came from one little, I, I think it takes, I mean, we believe People believe in the virgin birth of the universe, but we believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. So, I mean, I'm just telling you, it takes faith to be, it takes faith either way, but I believe in God. The third evidence is this, our morally good universe, our morally good universe, and this may be the hardest one to follow, and I understand I'm looking at my notes a lot because I, I want to be sure this comes out clearly. I hope I'm not putting you to sleep tonight. Am I putting anybody to sleep? I hope not. Evidence number three is our morally good universe. I'm going to pause at different times to make sure you guys can digest this. But how many of you guys know there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad in the world that we live in right now? There's lots of good and there's lots of bad in the world that we live in. And a question arises, on what basis, have you ever thought about this? On what basis is something considered good or bad? Or good and evil? And where did this basis come from? Did it come from a big, a big explosion? I don't think anybody here believes that moral values emerge from explosions. So the question is this, where did this feeling of good and bad, of right and wrong, where did these feelings come from? See, atheists are hard-pressed to provide an answer for the existence of objective moral values. You maybe ask yourself, Caleb, that's a bigger word. What does that even mean? Like, I barely passed high school, whatever. Like, you maybe ask, what is objective moral values? Well, morality is this. Morality is this. Morality, morality is our beliefs over what is wrong and what is right when it comes to our behavior. In our own personal lives, like what is wrong and what is right. But objective morality, in the simplest terms, is the belief that morality is universal. Meaning, so what that means is this, that, that the morality, objective morality, you know, it's something that's individual and set apart from us. That, that we didn't make that, but somebody else made that or put that in place. Meaning that objective morality is not... Uh, isn't up for interpretation. In other words, objective morality says that morality exists in nature, and it's how we were programmed. It's just in our DNA. Objective morality. I think we can all agree on certain things that some things are just bad and evil. I mean, the, the Holocaust, evil. The Holocaust, you, murder, evil. Rape, evil. It's just not good. Stealing, lying. Have you ever thought about this? Where did those feelings come from? From what is right and what is wrong? I mean, my God, my dog even knows whenever he's done wrong now. Like, I come home sometimes, and he's just in the corner. He's looking at me. He's shaking. Like, he shakes so much. And, I'm just, and I know when he's done wrong, I say, Mason, he runs into I mean, my dog knows good from bad sometimes. You know, he's learned. You know, have you ever thought, like, where does that feeling come from? Because we live in a world, we live in a world that has objective moral standards. Therefore, there must be an objective, there must be a moral lawgiver. And we refer to the lawgiver as God. Get this. God's word is the standard over what is good and what is evil. Imagine how much better the world would be if we were simply obedient to God's word and what he had to say. 
Imagine if we just treated other people the way that, that we want to be treated or we loved others just as much as we love ourselves. Imagine how much heartache, pain, and evil and suffering would be absent from the world. I don't know about you, but we need God in our lives. We need God's word in our lives. We need God's guidance. We need his spirit. We need him to lead us and direct us, tell us, tell us what is right and what is wrong. You are an intelligent human being that has a spirit, that has a knower, and God has put something imprinted in your DNA that will tell you what is good and what is bad. So in short, as I get ready to close tonight, is this helping anybody out tonight? So in short, our experiences, science, and philosophy points to the existence of an invisible God. Everything God is real and God is alive. Anybody can testify to the fact that God is real. God is real. He is alive. Come on, stand to your feet. Hope this helped you guys out tonight. And as I get ready to close, because I believe that everything that we do here at Covenant should be Jesus-centered. It points to the cross. It points to Jesus. Because, you know, maybe you've heard some facts and you said, wow, that's pretty cool. Or, you know, maybe you came in here as a skeptic. Maybe you've just followed after God your whole life and you just feel like your faith has been built up. You feel more prepared to take on the questions of life now. Maybe you just have a better understanding. I don't know where you may be at right now. But think about the scope of God. We can't even grasp God's beauty and his perfection and his excellence and, and his love. It's so hard for us to do that as minute, minuscule human beings. But God is so big and he's so mighty. And you may be asking yourself, like, what, like, you tell me about this God, Caleb, this big God. How, how do I know that he loves me? How do I know that I'm not just like an ant and he's like the bully? Like, how, how do I know that? Because God is holy. God is perfect. God is mighty. There's no one like him. He's, he's God all by himself. Like, why does God love me? Or why, why do, what does God feel about me? Look no further than, than the cross of Jesus Christ. Look no further than to Jesus. This is my conclusion tonight. Jesus is the clearest picture of God. He's the visible image of an invisible God. The scripture says that, that Jesus Christ, he is, say he is, the visible image of an invisible God. Vis the visible evidence for an invisible God was Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago whenever he said, it is finished. <laughs> and get this, you ever heard of Thomas? He's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. You may know him as Doubting Thomas, the, the skeptic, the one who questioned whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Because we, we all know how the story goes, right? Jesus, he's, he's crucified by the Romans. He, he's put to death. He, he just, he's like a lamb being led to the slaughter. He, he goes willingly to the cross. I mean, they mock him. They persecute him. They put a crown of thorns on his hands. They put nails in his feet, nails in his hands. They stab him in the side. They make him carry a cross. They, they lash him. They beat him to death. He died from a broken heart. Jesus, but we know that three days later, praise God, that he rose full of power and glory, defeated death, hell, and the grave. He ministered. He, he was out uh, appearing and approaching uh, over 500 followers that he had, and he did this for 40 days, but there was this one person early on, whenever he rose, his name was Thomas. And the disciples told Thomas, about what they saw and how they saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, living and breathing. But Thomas was going to say, he was just like, if you had to say it today, he said, I'll believe it whenever, whenever I see it. I'll believe it whenever I put my hand 
in, in his holes in his hands. I, I believe it whenever I, whenever I put my hand in, 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 his, in his wound, in his side. I, I believe it whenever I see it. And it says that the disciples were in this room and Jesus appeared in the flesh. And guess what? He still had the scars on his hands, on his feet, as a reminder, just to show people this is what I did for you. This is how much I love you. And he appeared to Thomas and he called Thomas out. He said, put your, put your hands in my hands. Put your hands in my side. And Thomas, out of words, he said, my God, my Lord. And he believed. And Jesus said this to him, because this is related to you. He said, because you see me, Thomas, you believe in me. But blessed are those, say me, blessed are those who have not seen me, but still believe in me. Ha. Guess what? Jesus is real. And he ascended to the throne room of God and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And guess what? He's coming back one day for his bride and his church. Guess what? You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Huh. You're the hands of Jesus. How is the world going to see Jesus? Show them your scars. Show them your scars. I went through this. I went through that. This is what's happened in my life. But guess what? Whenever you follow after Jesus, your scars will become stars for other people to see where you raise up your hands and you say, Jesus is alive. So Jesus doesn't run away from people that have questions or that are skeptics or atheists or agnostic. No, God is waiting for you to go out and make a difference in somebody's life. I, I wonder if every single one of us had it in our heart that we're going to make a difference. We're going to lead one person to Jesus. We're going to bring them to church. I don't know about you. I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed with nobody else by my side. I got friends I got to take with me. I got family I got to take. Come on, anybody believe this tonight? I got other people who I haven't even met that I want to tell about Jesus. The gospel is good news. It's good news. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Life Center podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, then subscribe and follow us on social media at CLC Victoria. Connect with us by visiting our website, clcvictoria.org.